The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. And today I have a guest that I just had on a few weeks ago, but we had such a powerful conversation. I felt as though we needed to have a part two. Dr. Liza Swadarsky is my guest again, and she's here to continue the conversation around the merging of medicine and metaphysics. How are you doing there, Dr. Liza? Doing wonderful. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well, doing well. I'm excellent, excellent. So we had a wonderful conversation, you know, last month around metaphysics and medicine and what that looks like and what it looks like for you as a medical doctor and as a practitioner in the New Thought Movement and how that shows up in your life and world. So I had more questions, and I'm hoping that we can knock all of them out today. And but so let's go for it. I don't want to waste any time. I want to make sure that people get the most and best benefit from this conversation. So the first question that I have is, what is the most significant benefit of being a metaphysician slash spiritual practitioner and a medical doctor? I love this question. I mean, this is where I live and breathe and move. The biggest benefit, in my opinion, is that this concept that God is ev- is in everything. God is is in is in spirit. God God is spirit. God is in the body, the mind, the soul. My approach as a medical doctor and seeing spirit in everything is it helps me approach each person, meeting them where they are in consciousness. Um, it helps me to really think about the universal and spiritual truths that free us in this human experience, the power of choice, the power of freedom, and the power of the body, that the body is really a a spiritual temple housing our spirit. And this is how we live, move, and breathe here. It's how we experience life and serve. So as a physician, I get to experience the miraculous, you know, and also as a surgeon. So I see how the body is perfectly made. I get to see firsthand how the consciousness and discord in the mind or in the outward human experience directly affects the body. And I often can then talk to each patient, getting to the root cause of what's going on in their lives, because many people don't just show up with an issue. Okay, I have an ovarian cyst, I have a fibroid. There's a whole story, a whole world behind that woman. And she comes in with a multitude of things to discuss and symptoms and the ways that her body is um, is speaking in her life. So as a metaphysician and a spiritual practitioner, it helps me combine uh, the spirit with this human form, this body, which as we know, Ernest Holmes says that the body is the manifestation of the unseen man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are the challenges in your line of healing from a conventional medical approach? 
The biggest challenges I see is that we're, we exist in, in, in what, what appears to be very separate silos in terms of, you know, physicians are really in the business of healing. They are healers. They have taken a, a, an oath to heal and there is a, an entire culture and persona and stereotypes that are placed around um, what a physician actually is. And then you have the people who are coming, patients who are coming and, and seeking care. And I think that the biggest issue is that there's no bridging of what people really want. There's no space to talk about what healing modalities people are really seeking in the, in the conventional sense. Because in Western culture, we are trained as allopathic medical doctors that we live in the science and the evidence-based data. And there's a whole world out there of other things that affect each person's mon- mind, body, spirit, and their, uh, and their environment. Mm-hmm. And, and there's really no space in conventional medical doctor's offices to really get into the nitty gritty of what is going on behind the scenes in each individual person's uh, life and having time to dissect that. And many doctors aren't really trained or we come from different, different lenses and backgrounds. So there's implicit biases and, and ways that each individual approaches a patient that is very complex. I mean, each person's coming come, kind of from their own unique lens. And I think the other big challenge is that people coming to seek care to medical doctors. Historically, there's a lot of fear. There is, which is, is rooted, especially in the Black community based on history, you know, how all of the experiments to advance medicine were often done on Black and brown bodies and enslaved um, individuals to advance medicine. So there's a lot of fear there. And there's, there's no trust. And so you get a system that we live in the effect also. So people come in for treatment once they're already sick, once there's already been a manifestation in the body. And in this, in our Western society, there is no focus early on in prevention, on healthy living, on optimal living, on empowering individuals to see their body as spiritual, as sacred, as um, on purpose from a young age. And each person is brought into this life, into a family unit that also has certain views on what the body is. And and some families, you know, the body may not be celebrated. People experience early traumas. So the, the biggest challenge is that each individual has their own story. Each physician has their own story. There's really no training. There's no bridging of how do you empower physicians to better take care of patients in an individual with an individualized lens. There's, there's nothing really in place to help patients be empowered as they approach their health care. And then you, there's, there's really nothing structurally in place to help individuals really focus in on being mindful and being conscious of what they're coming to get when they're going to a doctor's office, being prepared, yeah, you know, showing yeah. up with questions and mm-hmm. um, feeling. And, and how do you feel empowered in these spaces? How do you if you, if you do have a history of fear or, you know, you've been traumatized by an interact interaction with a physician, how do you move forward in that? So there's, there's just not a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that makes a difference. And I remember, um, you know, I picked my, my own father to his doctor's appointment and uh, I was with my older brother 
who's a sibling on my dad's side of the family. And uh, he was talking the difference between when he was take, taking his mother, we don't have the same mother, to the doctor versus this doctor that my father has who spends probably way more time than any other doctor I've ever met in the office asking questions about the state that he's dealing with with his own health issues, which I'm not going to address on a podcast. Obviously. That's yeah. his business. Right. But but the fact that we're in this room and we're hearing this time being spent and the care, it really shifted it. And it, it makes a difference. I don't know if I mentioned because I teach so much, Dr. Liza, yeah. that I don't know who I'm talking to many times when I use analogies. But did I mention to you that, you know, like maybe what in mid 2000, like 2007, I injured my arm. Um, I pinched, yeah, I pinched my nerve. I don't know how I did it. I pinched the nerve and I couldn't, I'm left-handed and I couldn't even put a spoon to my mouth. I'm, you know, Reverend Coleman, Reverend Johnny Coleman found out about it. You know, she called me about it. This was like, you get that together. Cause I think was, you don't stand in front of my people and not demonstrate this stuff. You know, she was big on that. And, uh, I ended up having a conversation with one of my ministerial colleagues, uh, uh, Minister, a minister that used to be on our staff here named uh, Reverend Shirley Lawson. And she was a, she's an expert in uh, Japanese pressure point massage. So not just like regular deep tissue. How do you go to the acupressure points? Absolutely. And I, I never get you like, come over to my house. Mm-hmm. Went over there and she was like, lay on this. And she went up and down my spine and she followed the, you know, where the pressure points were. And she said, oh, I found it. Now, I had like no strength in the arm, hardly any. And she said, this is going to hurt. I never get her sense. She's like, this is going to hurt. And it felt like she pressed with her finger, but it felt like somebody stuck a dagger. It was in my neck, shoulder, back area. And I was playing basketball a week later, like full court basketball, dribbling and shooting three pointers and everything else. Because and and I went back to practice. I, I wasn't even uh, I, I mean, I was really, really messed up to go from that. To yep. basketball is a huge leap. I was on steroids, painkillers, mm-hmm. and muscle relaxers yes. for weeks, <laughs> and nothing helped. But it, there are other opportunities for healing that happen. But this isn't the end of the story. I just want to just, just quick thing because I want to ask you quick. So some years later, that was around 2005. And in 2008, two, that was either 2000. No, it wasn't 2005. I got hurt in 2007. In 2008, I went to Oakland for a conference, a ministerial training conference with the International New Thought Alliance. And upstairs, they had these people doing he- different healing modalities. I don't know who the woman is. I got mm-hmm. a car and I lost it. But I walked in and she told me that she breathes energy. And I said, OK, it wasn't Reiki. Or Reiki is it Reiki? Reiki right. it wasn't that. Reiki. Reiki it wasn't yeah. Reiki. And so she walked up to me and she said, your energy is disturbed right here. You've had some type of energy. And she put her hand literally where I had the work done. So even though I didn't, wasn't feeling it physically, it was still energetically expressing itself. And it was just a reminder of, and I teach this stuff. Life is bigger than what we know. And we, Absolutely. And we have to always be mindful that life is bigger than what we know. Anyway, so I don't want to get caught up in the, in, into the, how amazing that conversation was with that woman because she didn't know me. Most people did not know that I was hurt. I would show up and do everything I needed to do, and nobody even knew about the injury unless they were close to me. So for this person who I never met, and the majority, they 
99% of the people at this conference, outside of the few people I went with, knew about the injury. For her to just know it energetically, I was like, okay, this woman's legit. She's the real deal. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've used energy healers. I've, I'm, I'm actually working with one right now. I've had some chronic neck and shoulder pain that I thought was from surgery, but it was some from some emotional things along with work that I was carrying. And your story really resonates with me with about your pinched nerve because my intern year, and that was over 20 years ago, you know, I, I was in Boston and my intern year, I was working, you know, night shifts on internal medicine, it, it, internal, you know, I'm an OBGYN. So by nature, internal medicine was not a space that I enjoyed being in, you know, and I am very energy sensitive. So there's a lot of chronically ill patients that you take care of in the hospital. And I ended up developing torticollis, which is a condition where the neck goes into, into a significant severe spasm. I couldn't move my neck. I couldn't move it in even a, a couple centimeters from left to right. And I was out of work for a week. I could barely walk because the, the pain radiated down. I mean, it would shoot down mm -hmm. to my legs and they had me like you, they, um, I refused to take steroids, but the painkillers and muscle relaxants. And I, I limped over to a Reiki healer in the neighborhood and, and I was back at work within two days. Now the aftermath of that energy of that spasm per persisted, but you know, I think this metaphysics that there's so much beyond what we see, it is real. And I think this is how I'm able to be a better physician, combining my spiritual practice with medicine, which is really foundational to what new thought is about, you know, mm -hmm. and we, we, I, we would serve each other. We would serve the mind, body, spirit connection so much better in helping people navigate our human experience. If I think we worked closer together, you know, yes. spiritual leaders and medical doctors, I, I'm sure there's other, there are other people like me who are interested in this work, who are not, who haven't been formally trained as practitioners. I, I, I just got to share this funny story mm -hmm. really fast. It's a funny story. So <laughs> you have great stories. So I'm a storyteller. Yes, I'm a storyteller. So. You know, it is so you know. in in the mid 2000s, I was, I think it was around 2006 or so. 2006, 2007. It was around this time. I wasn't injured though at the time. I um I was invited by the University of Chicago medical team, whatever the doctors whatever that group is called to come down to a location. And they were having discussions with ministers in the city of Chicago, specifically South side and West side, African-American ministers to address the issues that play medical issues that play the black community in Chicago. So I'm sitting there is I'm at a, multiple tables, maybe 200 people in the room. And it's, Every table has ministers and doctors, doctors of all types. And, you know, so the medical doctors get up and they start telling, you know, having the conversation. These are the things that black people are dealing with. You know, it's the same stuff, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, the, uh, you know, the cancers, the, you know, diet and the, all different type of things. And then they said, this is what we want them to get to by whatever the date was. So all of these ministers start getting up and asking all these questions. And so I'm sitting there and I talked and I leaned over and I said something to the minister who invited me. And I said it loud enough for the doctors that were sitting at my table to hear it. And this is what I said. It was a Saturday morning. 
I said, this conversation is amazing me. And she said, why? I said, because this is a conversation about projecting where we're going to be as a community in 15, 20, and 25 years as far as our medical health is concerned. I said, but these same preachers that are getting up here and asking all these questions are the same preachers getting up telling people that Jesus is about to come and blow the world up any day now. How can you tell people that to project 20 years out, 50 years out, generations, grandchildren out, if we change our habits now, this can be the result 25 and 30 years later, when at the same time, you're getting up Sunday after Sunday saying, these are the last and evil days, and Jesus is about to come back and blow the world up. I said, people are not going to care about medical, the medical, uh, their medical history because they don't believe they have a future. They don't, they're going to take care of the environment because they don't believe that they need to take care of an environment because the earth is not going to be here. And I just started talking about these different subjects. So I said, so what difference does it make to have this conversation if the context doesn't change? And she said to me, yeah, don't say that. Because <laughs> I was going to get up and just say it. She's like, please, just don't say it. But what I was trying to do was just get to the conversation of understanding that, that the this conversation that we have with spiritual leaders on my side of the fence, not on your side of the fence, needs to change if we're if people in my field are still fear-mongering and telling people that there's no future, uh, that you know, that Jesus is coming any day now. And so why am I saving money? Why am I concerned about my health? Why am I concerned about my community? Why am I concerned about my environment when I don't believe that there is a future for the planet Earth? And but but here's the thing: when I said that, the doctors that were sitting at the table with me. All were looking at me like, yeah. It just shifts the conversation. And I, you know, I'd be curious to know whatever came out of that meeting, but I think <laughs> we need more meetings like that. You yeah. know, see people making decisions in high places about our communities who don't necessarily work in our communities. Yeah. Individuals who haven't been in exam rooms and or really know the challenges of what's going on behind closed doors. And we're moving to a value-based healthcare system that puts patient outcomes and patient health solely on providers and and the, and the system of which we already know doesn't really work that well for anyone and i'm still struggling i'm doing my research to find out where in a value based healthcare system is there any responsibility placed on the individual the actual patient for their outcome mm-hmm. so i can't tell you the number of individuals who come and and seek advice and in order to seek advice and to receive care and be treated, there has to be a benefit of the doubt. There has to be some level of faith, hope, or trust. There has to be some sort of buy-in. And that's what I work on individually, one patient at a time. But it's about an individual consciously choosing, I want to live healthier. These are the steps that I'm going to take. And finding physician partners that they feel safe with to make those mm-hmm. choices and ask their questions and be feel seen, heard, and understood. And the key, I think, where where the gap lies is and where we can bridge that gap is with, with interested medical doctors in our community and faith leaders. And all the data shows the struggles in the Black uh, community, in the, in the Latino community, and communities living in poverty, getting physicians trained. So I work, I've, I've made a, a body of work working in Boston's community health centers. I could I could do much better financially working in private practice. I, I think I would, it, that is not where I want to practice medicine. I want to be in the community health centers with a diverse socioeconomic, 
racially diverse, ethnically diverse community, because that's where I, I know my assignment is. So let's train more people who have been through the challenges of life. You can then take care of, of patients with a more empathetic and compassionate lens, but let's bridge, let's have churches work with doctors to, to help educate the church community. And, you know, we know that even the, the church communities are, are, are in a strained position right now, the numbers showing up to church, but there's a lot going on virtually. And there is a major opportunity there for our communities to educate and empower people about their health through the church. It's about our church leadership finding healthcare providers. And this, this is my vision. And, th- and we are going to have to build a system to say this is what works for us. Because right now, I, I've been working in, this, in, in, in the conventional sense in medical practice for tw- over 20 years. And we, it's not going to be fixed by, the, by, by what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's going to have to come from within. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, you know. You know, uh, help wanted. You know, go within. Now, so my next question would be: What do you find the most challenging about working with individuals in their health journey? Hands down, their individual consciousness about their own bodies, the level of empowerment they feel about their body, and then also the the ideologies they bring to that hospital visit about the healthcare system and and me as a provider or the medical system in general. So the biggest challenge is individuals own conscious thinking, you know, the fear. So first I have to be have radar up for how much fear is in the room and that that depends on the person. Some people come in and and they are too trusting. You know, they they want to come in and they want a hysterectomy. They don't even want to talk about all the other things that can be offered. And then you have people who come in who really need a surgical procedure and they have been living in fear for so long that some of the things that they've subjected themselves to, multiple blood transfusions, hormonal therapy, uh, different procedures to instead of getting the procedure that they actually need, they're far worse along than if they had just really listened and made a decision to, to figure out what is my goal here? What is, what is my goal in showing up to this doctor's office? What's the best treatment option for me? So people come in with a lot in their own consciousness. You know, when I work, when I do workshops, I say what my fourth workshop is being an active participant in the patient doctor relationship. And I break it down. We break our, we break our conscious thinking down. So I say, what is keeping you from getting your good? What is keeping you from living optimally and healthy and healthily and finding a physician partner? And we break it down in three areas. Number one, individual me. What am I bringing to the visit? And, and, I, have, and I have the women go through and say, what are you bringing to the visit? You know, and the second one is the patient-doctor relationship. So we lay it out there and I say, tell me the challenges you're having with physicians. And that's typically the longest column, you know, and, and it makes sense. Doctors it feel, seem rushed. They're on the computer too much. They don't allow you to ask questions. Um, the way they talk to you about weight is very insensitive. There's a lot of different things that come up. And then there's the healthcare system. So if you're trying to reach a physician and you can't get a nurse or a doctor on the phone or you're stuck in a phone tree and you're working two jobs, you're trying to get kids to school and you're having chest pain, you might hang up and then you end up with a cardiac event, heart attack. Maybe your leg hurts and you have a blood clot, but you you put it off because it seems like it's just 
so much trouble to get in. So I, I would have people break it down into three areas so that we reframe what they're bringing consciously to the visit and setting some realistic expectations, some realistic goals. And we talk about empowerment, you know, well, you know visit prepared. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that you made me think of something I haven't thought about in a long time. And um, one of my neighbors who was a family friend, like my grandparents were friends with my buddy's grandparents. My mom was like an older sister to his mother and uncle. When his uncle went to the hospital in one of those hospitals in Chicago, I'm not going to say the name. I don't want to be in no libel situation. Yes. But but we as black people on the south side of Chicago that know better say, no, we don't go there. It's where, you know, because the service is not where it needs to be. So he wasn't feeling well. And he went to the doc, to the ER and he was just sitting there all night, basically. I mean, hours, hours with no care, nobody, whatever. So he just checked himself out and said he'll go to another hospital that's much better. He went home to get some sleep. Ambulance, he went home with the bed, had an episode, whatever that was. I remember the, you know, getting the call, the ambulance came to get him, took him away, and he died that day. So, so unfortunate. And, and so, so the thing about it was because of, you know, these hospitals that are in the hood, quote unquote, um, you know, he drove, to, matter of fact, when he first got sick, the ambulance took him to that hospital. That's what happened initially. They called the ambulance and it took him. He checked himself out, said somebody, just let me go home. I'll go see the, to the other hospital when I, after I give me a, take a nap. Cause he had just been there so long because, you know, ambulance, you know, takes you to where they're open. They don't take you to where you want to go, right. which was the first mistake. Um, but like, I would never go to that hospital, not in a million years for anything. And, and that was 25 years ago. My reason why I'm sharing that is he's not here. A man who had children, um, family responsibilities. He ran the family business. Um, it's, it's a lot was affected because he went to a hospital, then an emergency room for hours upon hours without seeing one doctor. and. Thought and and out of frustration checked himself out. Absolutely. And this is not uncommon. This yeah. is still going on today. <laughs> yeah. And and that's really unfortunate because of the impact it had on his family. Uh, and especially for children to lose their father over something like that. It's just amazing. It's 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 these little type of details, especially in our community, the way you say you go to this hospital and you die. Because you don't get the service you desire. Um, I know someone else who did. I know someone else personally who didn't go into an ambulance because the ambulance was going to take him to a particular hospital. He went back in home. He went back in the house because he called the ambulance himself. And he said, oh, we're taking you to this hospital. He said, I'm not going there. Well, you, well, he refused, signed the paperwork, and then got ill. And with his, you know, without getting into details, he ended up dying that day. But I know this happened twice. Because just the reputation of a particular place scares some black folks to, uh, from going to it. And, uh, and my position was like, just go, stay. If you got to get transferred, get transferred. But if you know you're ill, but when you're frustrated, when you're angry and you were sick and you might not be thinking the way rationally, you can end up making poor decisions that affect you. And the hospital's off the hook because he refused. He signed the ambulance. Said, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. So what ends up happening? You create a situation and circumstance, unfortunately, where 
it, it creates other problems. But I have another question because I have a lot of questions and I don't want to lose it. But I'm just kind of give context. What you said just really brought that conversation back because I was a man I've, I knew my whole life. And this to see him check out. <laughs> yeah, I, it didn't see him check out like that. It made no sense. So um, what do you feel is most the most important thing for individuals to realize when pursuing living healthily and optimally? That their health is really their responsibility. We are in this life. We are in this one. We get this one body to live, to, to experience life, to serve, to experience each other. And individuals must realize that their health is ultimately their responsibility. You're going to find stewards along the way. You're going to find healers of, of, of different varieties to your choosing if you so seek to trust. And in the, if we're talking to a group of metaphysicians, it's also about setting an intention for the right provider, the right doctor, the right healer, the right massage therapist. There's so many areas. Um, where you where healing is needed, that one doctor is not going to be a, a one size fits all scenario. So having that in in one's mind that my health is ultimately my responsibility. Just like, and I would say make an analogy to if you wanted to be a parent and you ended up with a child, you know that child is your responsibility. There are certain things you have to do to make sure it's healthy, that it's fed right, that it's educated, that it gets to where it needs to be. And also the other thing would be that to know that you are the most important individual in your life, that it is your life, that it is your spirit in that, that sacred body, and this is your life. And in order to fully live that life, and to live it optimally and healthily and abundantly, you cannot ignore the health of the body. And we know that discord in the in in psychology and in our environment will show up in the body. So it's about getting ourselves still. And we know that some people do not have that luxury to be still, to get still, or have the tools. And this is where I want, again believe that doctors and spiritual communities there there's room there to grow. But knowing that I have to really consider my body just like any other goal in my life. We all set goals very early on for our education. We need food, shelter, and clothing. We, we strategically think about things that we need to survive. And a healthy body really is one of them. Mm-hmm. So that would be the take home is that it is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to set intentions, to find help to try to find resources. And initially, you know, it's our responsibility as doctors to, to, to provide the best care, cause no harm, do the best job that we can do in these different stages of revealing and healing. And same thing for spiritual communities, but it all starts with the individual. And then once you go and seek care and there will be advice given, if you don't trust that advice, then there are second opinions. There are third opinions. It takes time. It may take resources. But there's been a lot of changes in the government now with health insurance laws and open markets and income-based insurance plans that that are helping individuals uh, receive care who could not afford it previously. If there is a will, I really do believe there's a way. I was born into, into severe poverty. I did not have health insurance until I was 18. My story is not... You know, I can't say, well, if I did it, you can do it. But I do. I remember what it was like having more questions and answers and feeling discouraged. 
But I knew that my life was bigger than what I was seeing and that I was more than these labels of, you know, a poor child. I was more, my life was bigger than some of the things I was seeing around me. And my health is really my responsibility. And things that were taking place in my environment did ultimately show up in in my health. And then when those things showed up and after I had my down periods or, and I think you have to be gentle with yourself, give yourself time to grieve or to ask, ask why me, (laughs) but then you have to move beyond that and say why and what next. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest take home. Your life is your, is your life. Your body is, is your sacred temple. And it is ultimately your responsibility to do as much as you can to live a healthy life, to find out as much information as you can to seek help and to really consider what is being shared with you about treatment plans and to make a decision, make a choice because a non-choice is also a choice. Mm-hmm. A non-choice is going to lead you down a road that you're not in the driver's seat. And, but an actual self-actualized choice, whether it's, you know, there is a little bit of fear there will lead you more towards a path that you're aligned with and you'll feel more in control. And it's about taking the steps and it's not easy though, for people, you know, I, I've led a workshop with um, a couple of weeks ago with the Boston public library. And one of them was about sleeping and that was really fun for people. The second workshop, it was the, the, the crowd was more somber and serious because we were talking about optimizing health. And the goal of the workshop was to identify one area that you wanted to improve in your, in your health. And people look, you know, it's heavy work. It's, it's not something that, you know, you can just, sometimes people just cannot conceptualize. They're, they're very overwhelmed, which is understandable, but it's still the individual's responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a um, lot of blame placed on when you're not, what my, my parents did this, my, and, and, you know, I was, this happened to, and these things are real, you know, trauma is real when people are violated, that these are very real things that that affect our health. I think we may have talked last time about the adverse childhood events where they've done research over for decades on there's 10 different areas that if a child experiences things such as verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, a parental incarceration, a, um, a parent with a mental illness, you know, there's certain different areas. There's ten. There's a 10 part quiz that directly correlates to the types of health problems one will have later on in life. And if you're if you've experienced four of those events, your risk goes up significantly to, to experiencing all different types of, uh, of health problems, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity. So there's so many, there's a direct correlation. So our experiences are real and they can actualize in the body. So I don't want to sound like we are going to negate those experiences. The energy associated with those experiences are real. And that's my theory. They then can result in disease and discord and, and that sort of thing. But we have to work to empower our communities to say, this happened to you. How do we move past it? How do you get your good? How do you live healthily now? Yeah. Um, it's your yeah. responsibility. Yeah. It's, uh, it works if you work, as Johnny Coleman mm-hmm. used to say. Um, we, got, we need to take a quick break. We're going to take a quick break in, uh, and we'll be right back with Dr. Liza and Truth Transform. 
Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm having a wonderful conversation about the, the merging of medicine and metaphysics with Dr. Liza. And I have more questions. I want to make sure we get them all out, you know, because uh, you're such a, a you have such a wealth of information. And I think it's important before I get to the other questions, though, it's important for me to let people know how they can get in contact with you and the work you're doing. You have a website that explains all of the breakdowns. Could you give people the website address and how they so they can get in contact with you if they have their own questions or they want to take part in the work that you're doing with the merging of medicine and metaphysics? Sure. Thank you so much. I My website is healthvows.org. So healthvows, just like H-E-A-L-T-H, vows, V-O-W-S dot org. And I... This, this is because we have so many vows written and unwritten for our, for different areas of our lives. And so the, the workshop series that I run are built around seven health vows. I do health coaching as well. This particular program is a seven-week program. The workshops are an hour and a half each week. And we go over different topics that build on themselves to help individuals feel empowered, heighten their knowledge of health, what we call health literacy. So what do you understand about health? Your the guidelines of what is needed for your screening, your heart, your, uh, for women, pap smears, mammography screening, that sort of thing, how to be active in, in the relationship with your physicians, how to reframe fear. We spend an entire workshop talking about fear and how to reframe that fear, identifying our fears. So this is the work that I'm doing right now. And I do have a research project going on right now. The research aspect of is if this workshop series is just two surveys that you do at the very beginning, at the very end of the series, to take about twenty minutes to fill out. But the workshop itself is, you know, it's a it's it's a group base. We try to limit the groups to fifteen to twenty individuals, and the goal is that by the end of the seven weeks, that you're living a more empowered um, life, a healthier life, and optimizing your environment to live healthily. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So go to the website, healthvows.org. Far as I know, as you're saying, it's basically geared toward women. It is. Well, this particular research project is um, because I feel like until we actually produce actual data, you know, conventional medical spaces won't really respect, (laughs) let's say, Uh I can't think of another word, the idea and my, I know that we must work in conscious change. So there's a lot of talk about these social determinants of health. Anyone listening uh, to this podcast, when they go to a physician's office, given what happened with the COVID-19 pandemic, which brought to the forefront, all of the healthcare disparities and equities in different communities, black, brown communities and, and communities living in poverty, well, you'll be screened on your social situation, where you live, access to food, um, your relationship status, things such as this. And so this program really helps individuals navigate their social determinants of health. M- many people show up and they're sick or depressed or have anxiety or or struggling many times in my office, not because of something that you can directly relate to a health issue, but to, because of the, they're in jobs they don't like. They're doing things they don't love and they stopped asking, what do I love? They're in unfulfilling relationships that are not healthy. And these are, and, but they're sent to me because they need hormone replacement therapy or they're perimenopausal. I mean, these, this is how things in my space get labeled. Yes. So, um, 
So this is, so this is a, this, this particular project is with women, but I do craft workshops for what is ever needed. So like, let's say this, if the spiritual leadership at, at Christ Universal Temple wanted to do a series with a group of congregants, we could tailor something and look okay. at that and say, you know, what do you think your community needs? And we can tailor it. That sounds good. That sounds for good. Communities. And so if there is something that anyone is interested in doing for their communities, I would love to, to brainstorm. I have so many ideas and I'm very passionate about, about this work and we can make something happen. All right. That sounds good. So churches out there, and I know you listen <laughs> to the show, uh, she's open and receptive to developing a special program to take care of your community's need. So reach out to her. She, she's worth the buck. Trust me. All right. So let me get to some more questions. I want to make sure I knock these questions out. Uh, how can new thought metaphysics and other healing modalities support medical science? This is a big question. I think we, we could spend a good hour on it <laughs> in itself. And I think it goes back to, I think what we talked about before, I would love for leadership and new thought or our, our, our ministerial leaders to think about how our communities are doing in terms of health and work across the lines with, with medicine, with doctors to say, how can we have a healthier community? How can we sit at the table together? There are metaphysicians who are navigating healthcare spaces and we are oftentimes not verbal or at the forefront of how our, our, how new thought has really helped impact our life and our health. This, so one of the things I think we also have to do is be more authentic in our journeys in healing and be more willing to share with others what we know um, without, without hiding behind um, fear of judgment. I don't know. I don't know about your experience, but you know, I had this nurse that I was working with um, at, at, at the hospital system where I do, do surgery. And she actually was a minister. And I said, oh, I'm a spiritual practitioner. And she says to me, well, is it Jesus-based? Is it Jesus-based? And um, it was a really interesting question. I mean, we'd never really talked about this before, she, she and I. And also in the same hospital system, I've had nurses come up to me talking about very mystical metaphysical experiences. I don't know why if they just, you know, people do feel energy. I've had nurses losing uh, loved ones talking about experiences they've had with ancestors and energy. And so the interest is there. I think when we say, how can new thought and metaphysics and other healing modalities support medical science right now, medical science we're looking at the mind body connection and interventions and there's, there's more um, publications on the benefits of let's say meditation and uh, working in um, behavioral adjustments to achieve better outcomes. But some of the things in the treatment and healing modalities that individuals embark on, I think in new thought is still considered pseudoscience in conventional medical spaces. Mm-hmm. So I just wish, you know, it'd be nice to take the woo-woo term out, <laughs> this whole concept of woo-woo. And I also think that metaphysicians are, are into different healing modalities, such, you know, energy workers and, and Reiki therapy and, and all different types of, um, of, 
you know, prayer circles. And I think that until we, to truly bridge the two in conventional medical spaces, they like to see studies, but I think we can't really wait for that. I think it's important for the new thought communities and churches to start holding space for this optimal, uh, healthy living, living healthily. So I think what's really needed is that we have, that there's an arm for health in every spiritual community, that it becomes a pillar, that it becomes one of the goals of the community is how are we living in terms of health? How are we as a, in our health as a, as a body of people? Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, actually, and I want to drill down on it right now because just for time's sake, but uh, when I, one of the things I noticed when I first got here was one of our ministers had his own group of own ministry uh he called it healthy concept where parishioners would learn about diet about what to avoid exercise etc what are the things that you need to do to take care of the body temple and i think that's really an important thing because it's a conversation that we need to have especially considering uh some of the diet issues that that show up in our community and you know uh you know because many of us grew up eating everything but what we should have been eating. So let me ask you another question. How can medical science support new thought metaphysics and other healing modalities? Because that's a that's turning it the you know turning it on the other side of the coin. Well I think medical sciences is moving in moving in that direction. We're moving in that direction. You, you, you we certainly have certain leaders that are at the forefront, certain names that people know that that have tried to bridge these spaces for a number of decades, but medical science right now, I think one of the biggest triumphs is all of the data looking at meditation and the benefits of meditation. So as, as, as spiritual communities, we, we talk about prayer. We're talking to God, we're talking to spirit and in meditation, we're listening. And we, we know about how meditation in our spiritual lives enhance our intuitive power. And I always say when our intuitive power, when it's heightened, there's more peace and peace brings less anxiety, less, less discord in the body. And Mm -hmm. that, that results in a healthier living because when you're in peace, you're not having all of these, you know, markers like cortisol and these catecholamines and endorphins in your body that, that release into your blood uh, system, blood system in your blood system, and then increase your heart rate or for increased stress. And we know stress is directly correlated and linked to many, many health conditions. What I find really incredible is all of the data around meditation and how it's supporting what we already feel and know is true in our spiritual community, but even more so pushes us along even further to show these scientific benefits. So we've seen um, Dr. Blackburn's work looking at telomeres and seeing, we, we know that from medical science and the studies that have been published over and over again, that there's a direct correlation with, med- with meditation and increasing telomere length. And telomeres actually protect DNA. And each cell has DNA in it. Each one of our cells in the body has DNA that divides. And we say our, these cells turn over on a daily basis. So we're constantly being rejuvenated. And as we be as we get more into our years of midlife, they they have found that these telomeres that that protect DNA actually shorten. And when 
when DNA divides and there are mutations or it doesn't divide correctly, this is often how diseases show up and how mm. cancer can show up. So when they have actually directly correlated that meditation has been shown to increase this telomere length, these telomeres that live inside each cell and protect DNA, it's pretty miraculous. And they've shown that it that meditation directly correlates with slowing down the aging process. There are studies that that uh, show that meditation decreases aging of the brain, that it can um, increase basically increase your mindfulness, which can decrease your stress level, decreases stress hormones like cortisol, like we talked about. And um, individuals who meditate, there's some studies that suggest that they, that they live longer. So regular meditators of certain types have an average lifespan that's up seven years. And they can even, there's even studies that have supported that it's even much longer than that, that the life expectancy is much longer than that. So this is how medical science I believe is supporting one huge aspect of metaphysics is that one aspect of metaphysics that's foundational is the spiritual practice of meditation and being mindful, being in the present moment. And when we meditate, it also teaches us to live in the present moment. Our, our minds don't wander as much. And this is something that I directly benefited from because I'm a daily meditator. My life changed when I started meditating on a routine, regular basis, I could be in the present moment as a medical doctor, not think about everybody who was waiting to see me, all the notes I had to do, that this person needs this form for a surgery. I've got, you know, children to pick up. I can be in literally in the present moment and be my best version of myself and take care of one patient at a time. And I don't, and I don't feel the stress that I felt as a very young physician 20 years ago, plus when I showed up working eight, you know, 120 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing because of what is, you're showing in real time is it works. And, you know, I'm a big believer that one of the things that metaphysics always has to be is practical and measurable. You know, I'm a, I'm a Emmett Fox metaphysician in this <laughs> context. I love Emmett Fox. Let me just put it that mm -hmm. way. Uh, even though I'm UFBL, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore based teaching, because that's where Reverend Coleman was ordained out of Unity. And then she left Unity and became UFBL. I love this one statement by, Matt, by Emmett Fox where he wrote, there's no such thing as undemonstrated understanding. Mm -hmm. And I live by that statement. That's my favorite statement in all the world, because if I understand it, it's demonstrating itself. And if it's not, then there's something that I don't understand that I need to understand that will change my outcome. So, which gives me goes into my next question, Dr. Liza. Uh, people hear a lot of, about the placebo effect, but how powerful is the placebo effect, and how does medical science explain it? It's it's so funny. Um, it brought to this this question brings to mind this uh, article that was published through Harvard Medical School, and it was it was in December actually of last year. So I remember that article. It was called "The Power of the Placebo Effect." And the headline was treating yourself with your mind is possible, but there is more to the placebo effect than positive thinking. So we originally, with what we call randomized controlled trials, would test the, the efficacy, which means how well does an intervention or a drug work by giving a group of individuals the actual intervention, the medication, would, uh, and then we'd have a group of individuals who received an empty pill, a placebo. 
-hmm. And it used to be just a measure of how well that treatment arm worked until they actually found that there were some psychological um, benefits and power in that arm of individuals who got that treatment that did not have any medication in it to improve their overall sense of well-being, decreasing symptoms. So this was particularly effective in in patients undergoing uh, treatment for cancer or chemotherapy. They were less likely to experience nausea and vomiting. There's so many studies about the placebo effect. It's hard to sum it up, but the placebo effect is powerful. I mean, it's the idea that your brain can convince your body that a fake treatment is a real thing, I think speaks to the power of positive thinking and believing in uh, believing in in something does that make sense no so, no you know, no I, I agree completely mm-hmm. I, I'm a big believer that your body believes every word you say every thought you think every feeling you have every belief you accept so therefore if all causation is mental is which what metaphysicians proclaim then what we believe, has to have an effect Absolutely. on not only our bodies, but our life, world, and affair. I think the placebo effect of basically supports what we practice as metaphysicians. And our conscious thinking and our beliefs and our attitudes are just part of the equation. So we know that placebo effect may not heal a condition. It may not heal or it may not perform as well as that intervention arm of the medication, but what we have found, it has been highly effective in, in decreasing pain in patients with chronic pain, it, it decreasing stress and decreasing um, insomnia in individuals who can't sleep and, and, and basically making uh, the experience associated with side effects from other treatments, like I mentioned, cancer better. So it's not really completely understood how the placebo effect works. It's a a neurobiological response. And they've actually even found certain parts of the brain can highlight, you know, basically highlight when they're doing certain types of um, imaging using MRI, when individuals take the placebo, the certain part of the brain actually will respond to them taking that medication. So I feel that what to me as a medical doctor, what this points to, because uh, what what I really struggle with sometimes is the attitude that we have about conventional medical spaces and versus what we can gain from our spiritual practice. Because I study science of mind, you know, and I'm a pr- practitioner through Centers for Spiritual Living, I really do believe in Ernest Holmes' vision that science and medicine will one day walk hand in hand from the um, invisible to the to the visible. And when he talks about unity and multiplicity. That, that God is in everything, that God, that spirit is operating through the this, this spiritual genius, the medical doctor, the geologist, the scientist, that if God created everything and we know that God is real, then, then our conscious thinking has power. We have spiritual power, mm-hmm. but we can also find the gift in the pill, the, the spiritual genius in the medical treatment. And the medical treatment option. So, so this is where I feel that the two bridge for me is that the placebo effect points to the power of the subconscious and the conscious mind to heal and supports that the body does have an innate power to heal based on our own conscious beliefs and thinking. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And, you know, and it, it reminds me, um, 
the Reverend Coleman, you know, I, I've quoted her a lot because, you know, she was a game changer for me. And everybody has that game changer person. Yes. She was my game changer. And she would often say to us in ministers meeting, all healing begins in the mind of the practitioner. And that was her way of reminding us as ministers and teachers of this truth that you have to be able to behold wholeness in your own mind. You know, she was like, you go to the hospital and all the stuff is happening that needs to happen, that the doctors need to do. That's great. But you, when you have going to the hospital, you have to behold the Christ in the bed. You Absolutely. have to, that's a totally different conversation. And she said, if you can't do that, you have no benefit to that person because you can't hold the space for them. The spiritual space. We have to let the medical doctors do what they do with their system. When we show up, it's our job to behold the spiritual being. Uh Behind and beyond what they're physically experiencing and knowing that that spirituality can impact and affect their physicality. And that's important. Um, I do have one more question, though, before we wrap up. Um, what are some of the best recognized spiritual and mental practices that support good health? Well, we've, we've spoken about meditation. Um, there's There are many studies, you know, about in medical science about the of prayer. Now, some of them, many of them contradict themselves, but the power of prayer and also the benefits to the praying person, to the prayer mm -hmm. in terms of um, increased overall sense of well-being and a sense of community, how that can, can add to the sense of well-being of individuals. There's, there's studies looking at uh, prayers of gratitude and and decreasing depression. So gratitude practice is is very important. Uh, part part of you know it's very very important movement. So movement, moving the body, and I say doing this where you're not hard on yourself. If you're not a runner and you're and you don't have a very mobile life, you you you've grown into a sedentary lifestyle where you're not doing a whole lot. The spiritual practice of movement. And particularly in nature, as we know, energy, spiritual energy is very powerful in nature. So getting out in spaces where there's clean air to breathe, where you like seeing, visually seeing the sights of, in nature and moving your body. Well, even if it's a slow walk or a brisk walk with a good shoe, they're actually looking, there was a, a medical study looking at teachers during COVID and teachers who actually, um, incorporated daily movement into their life versus not and found ben found it beneficial if for individuals who were just moving their body relationships and community are also very important so the spiritual practice of of aligning yourselves with like-minded individuals with and hopefully with a similar you know energetic match of a similar vibration that can add to your joy, add to your peace, add to your sense of uh, adventure and exploration here, I think is a very important spiritual practice that can heighten health. Sleep is very important. Getting an adequate amount of sleep. These are basic things that don't seem like spiritual practice, but that when you're sleeping, this is where the body rejuvenates itself. So mm -hmm. just having a, 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 a good sleep, sleeping practice, good sleep hygiene, preparing your space, preparing your consciousness for the type of sleep you want to have, or maybe what you want to manifest during your sleep, going to bed with an intention. You know, if there's something on your mind, I'm not going to go to bed worried about my job, but I know when I wake up, maybe I'll have 
an insight about how I'm going to handle this conversation with my boss. Like, so these are some things I've started to incorporate because we've all in our lives, I think, experienced times of disrupted sleep, depending on what we're, we're going through. But it, it's so important to get adequate rest. And I think looking at diet, what we're feeding the body temple is very important, how we're feeding it and when, what time of day so it doesn't disrupt our sleep and that we're optimizing getting the fuel from the foods that we eat, living, eating living foods. And, and if you can, if you can afford to, is very important. And paying attention, being mindful. Mindfulness which I think is where meditation comes in, but being mindful in every aspect of your life, I think is a very beneficial spiritual practice. And where it comes in into our health is to start to really regard the body as, as important as you, as you regard prayer, as, report, as important as you, as you regard uh, your relationship to spirit because your spirit is in this body and it does speak, it has intuitive power. So it will tell you if you're eating something that's not sitting well with you, you're gonna feel sluggish maybe you're maybe if you eat uh, a certain type of um you know and I don't want to sound discriminatory because pe- some people eat meat and do great and some of us don't but are you having night sweats after you eat certain types of foods are you super gassy um how how do what how are the sense of your body changing depending on what you're eating the body does speak to us mm-hmm. and so i think those are some things to really consider and there's so many scientific uh, medical studies that are looking at our individual behaviors, but I don't feel that we're incorporating them as well in our conventional spaces in medicine. You know, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not a priority of major hospital systems. You can imagine the amount of work it takes for people to, to inspire people to change their lifestyle. And that's why I think it will become more in the area of the church working with, with medical uh, personnel, then, and then we would need to bring that to hospital spaces. Look at, look at what the Christian scientists have been able to accomplish. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a center right in, in downtown Boston when I walk by that. And I think what they have, there's a, there's a couple here. There's one in Jamaica Plain. There's a reading room. Look at what they've been able to accomplish by standing in their truth of what they, what they believe about, um, about spirituality and the perfection in spirit and how that can be utilized through prayer to manifest a healthier life. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about, I'm currently outside when I do the interview breaks, I'm teaching the power of intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer, mm-hmm. but I'm actually, thinking, I love that. Yeah. It's yeah. It's I'm having a great time teaching. I'm teaching a chapter by chapter, sometimes multiple podcasts for one chapter. I love but, that book. You know, but I'm thinking about doing something with, that's just specifically on healing. And I'm just thinking about, am I going to do a Joe Goldsmith? You know, he was a former Christian science practitioner who expanded and did his own thing with the infinite way or homes, or am I going to do somebody else's stuff? I was even thinking about Deepak. Uh, Deepak, not Deepak, Deepak. Yeah. How have you pronounced it? Deepak. So I, um, because I think it's important to keep that conversation. I haven't done a series strictly on healing in a long time, you know, because this podcast has been out for 10 years, plus 10 and a half years now. And I've done Christian healing by Charles Fillmore. And I did open your mind to be healed by Reverend Coleman. And, and I'm trying to think of something else. I did something on, I did like the foundational principles of spiritual healing. I did that like the first year, like, okay, if you took all of what new thought teaches about healing and put it into one series, what would it be? 
And those are some of the things that I was seeking to do to make sure that people had the, the, the skill. But I also recognize that I'm different 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And I have to be able to look and say, okay, what have I learned and experienced that help, will help shape this conversation? I have to look at things differently now than I even did then. Like, okay, that I have to be more mindful about my doctor's appointments, making sure everything is good. I go more now. I'm not just to show up once a year because your wife makes you go type thing. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, but like literally like, hey, I'm just here to make sure everything, you know, you know, that everything is working, you know. So because I'm a big believer that if what we teach works and I believe it does, then we should show up to people like you and at the medical office and the test results will show the results of our spiritual work. Absolutely. That's where I hope to guide people to recognize that you shouldn't be afraid of the doctor because the doctor is only validating your work. And if there's something you need to focus on, where you can put your intention. And I think that's really important right now. And, you know, I just love that you're open and receptive, not only to this conversation, but you're doing the work in real time. Um, We got to wrap up because, you know, you know, um, you have a busy, busy doctor's life and I have a busy minister's life. But I just want to just thank you again for this conversation. Uh, I'm trying to make sure that I, that I covered all my questions. I think I did. I think well, I I'm, I'm grateful. You know, yeah. as I said, my, my early introduction into, into spirituality and faith is what is what has propelled my entire life, including my life as a physician. And I know that there's so much work to be done here. So I'm just grateful that we're holding this space to even have this dialogue. Yes. And you've got some great ideas. I think you could take any one of these teachers and their books and hold a series and people are going to get things out of it and we'll, and we can attract more people, but it's, it's, um, it's work that requires commitment. I can't tell mm-hmm. you the number of times, you know, when you're offering a workshop series and I haven't charged, I've taken, you know, hundreds of women through my workshops and haven't charged and people will will sign up and they, they may not even show up. So it's how do you do this work and, and make it, it, it make it economical and affordable for people mm-hmm. and, and show what we need to show that it works and get people to buy in to help us help us show that this works. <laughs> and, you know, yes. people, you know, that's, that's the real challenge. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things is, um, um, I've, I've gotten to the space now to honestly, as a metaphysician and minister, where I really kind of refuse to drag people to their own transformation. Absolutely. So, so, you know, I, you know, so uh, I'm familiar, but he's a minister in New Thought, but he's also the the top Aramaic Bible scholar in the United States, Dr. Rocco Erico. He's out of Atlanta and uh, he's a good friend of the ministry. He was a very good friend of Reverend Coleman. And he, one year he came here and he said, a statement that I've never forgotten. I use it to guide everything I do in ministry. My job isn't to convince, convert, or coerce anyone. My job is to present the truth and I let God handle the rest. I love that. It's true. And, yeah. So, so I do the best that I can and then I release it because I have to recognize that I don't know what that individual soul needs the yep. individual soul journey, the lessons they need to learn. And um, and then I back it up with a statement by Gary Zukoff. I'm a huge Gary Zukoff fan, huge Gary Zukoff. Fan. And he wrote in the mind of the soul, which I would recommend if you don't have it. And I, I, have that book. I, have, I, I have a 
Bass Library. Yeah, and he said in that book, I take responsibility for the choices I make and the consequences they create. And, and that is the truth. And I think that's that brings it back to what do you want people to know about their health? It's their yeah, responsibility. It's their responsibility because with and no choice is a choice, as you stated earlier. So thanks, Dr. Liza. I appreciate everything. Uh, for those who are listening to this, uh, check our website out, healthvows.org. Reach out to her if you have questions. If you want to be a part of the program, if you want to be about, if you want to be a part of a study that will help people going forward, get connected to our work because this work will have a long-standing effect. Okay, because she knows how to navigate the world of the metaphysician and the medical. Uh, doctor in medical science. And this is a conversation that needs to happen because whether it was in the early New Thought days, whether it was Ernest Holmes or Charles and Myrtle Fillmore or many of the other early metaphysicians, they all had the dream of science, medical science, science, and metaphysics all working hand in hand to take care of the whole person, Absolutely. not just an aspect of the person. So we're all in this together and the quicker we realize it, the better it will be for all humanity. So let's continue yes. to work. Thank you. And I'll be with Great. you. Ne- Galen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I just want to, you know, you know, I like to use my platform to promote dope people, you know, so Thank that's, you. What, you know, so that's, that's what I'm about to use my 1980s logo, you know, <laughs> dope people, you know, so anyway. Uh, so thank you for those who are listening on Truth Transforms. I just want to remind you of one thing, because yeah, I've jumped platforms from Unity Online Radio to Mind, Body, Spirit, uh, .fm. And since I've been on this new platform, we've changed some, you know, web address links. So now when you look up Truth Transforms, I'm not at the top of the page. So I need you all to go to, to mindbodyspirit.fm, find my page, save it, and then click on it once daily for like 90 days. I want to continue to rise up the charts. So when people put truth transforms in Google, my name pops up as first like it has, like it did for 10 years before I switched platforms. So this is a part of the help that I need from you. Um, So even if you listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and all that, still do that. But I need you to go to the website and click on it, click on it, click on it, because I want to make sure that the algorithm of Google pushes me to the top so we can get this information out. Thank you all so much. God bless you. And I'll be with you next week with Truth Transform. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of A Guided Life Podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. 
part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.